As we move through the Gospel of Mark together in worship, I want to let you know that the confirmation class is also reading and discussing Mark's Gospel this spring. This afternoon in our class, I've asked the confirmands to read this passage and look carefully to see what they can learn about Jesus. And so I ask the same of all of you. What in this passage tells you something about who Jesus is? And maybe also, what do you hear about his followers and what they do? These are really the two key messages in the Gospel of Mark, the identity of Jesus and the way of discipleship. And so I invite you to listen carefully for these two things in this morning's lesson. Would you pray with me? Send your Holy Spirit upon us, O Lord, as we listen for your word and meditate on your teachings. Send your Spirit within us so that we can live out your gospel of love in our own lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The gospel reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 1 beginning at the 29th verse. As soon as they, Jesus and his disciples, left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew and James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. Jesus came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I was talking with a friend recently whose child has just started college and is feeling a little shaky. And it reminded me of the very first time our oldest daughter, Maddie, came home for her first fall break from college in Maine. I had driven to Washington to pick her up from the airport and loved the chance to be in the car for two hours, talking and hearing her stories and catching up. I riddled her with questions, and she was a good sport to tell me lots of things. At one point in the conversation, I asked if college was as she expected it would be, or if it was different. And she said, in many ways, it was what she expected, and she really liked it. She loved her classes and professors. She loved the people, and everyone there was so nice. 
And then she paused. And she asked, do you think it's okay that I don't know yet who my closest friends will be? I've met lots of great people and I'm having a good time, but I wonder sometimes, how long will it be until I really have close friends? You know, the people you can really depend on and can tell anything to. I wonder who these people will be, or maybe whether I'll ever have friends like this in college. Who will my closest friends be? The ones I can really depend on and tell everything to. Who will be the ones who will stay with me when I'm not that fun and I can't pretend? What a universal question. I can't think of a time in life no, no matter where we are or at what stage, that we don't ask the question, especially now when we're so often alone for long periods. Who are my real friends, my close friends? Who are the people who really know me and love me and still stay with me? Deep friendship is a rare treasure. Deep friendship over time becomes companionship. Someone who is with you, beside you, through all times, not just the good times. And I would argue that such friendships are sacred and can really help us understand what kind of life Jesus wants for us. This week, we continue in our reading of Mark's gospel, and we're getting a pretty good sense of Jesus' ministry already. What does Jesus do? He heals people's brokenness in their spirits and in their bodies, and he brings good news. He tells people every which way he can find that God's love is present with them now and in them, and all are invited. All are invited to join in God's feast of love. But there's an underlying aspect to Jesus' ministry that's starting to build in this story, and I like to call it the hidden curriculum, which will continue everywhere Jesus goes and in his ministry. And that is the fact that Jesus is building a community of companions. Jesus has called a small group of people to follow him, random people of all walks of life, most not people of power, and he's invited them to join him in his ministry. In today's gospel, we begin to see here how this companionship takes shape. These relationships really aren't very different from our most meaningful relationships. They share fear and pain. They eat together and travel together. They go to each other's homes. They work together, and they take care of one another. Jesus goes to Peter and Andrew's home, and the first thing Peter does, Simon Peter, is confide in Jesus that his mother-in-law is sick. Jesus is moved by this intimacy and heals her by taking her hand. Once Peter and Andrew experience this healing, what do they do? 
They gather up all those in the city who might be sick or in any kind of pain and bring them to Jesus. They are Jesus's runners. And one of my favorite acts of friendship comes at the end of this story. Jesus has slipped away to have a quiet time for prayer, and Peter and Andrew, James and John, race and really hunt to find him and tell him, everyone is searching for you. Now you can read this passage a couple of ways. You can read it like, hey Jesus, everyone's looking for you. Or you can read it with the tone of a friend who knows just how tired Jesus is and how long he has yet to go. And maybe the tone of voice is the warning of a friend. Jesus, everyone's looking for you. Already, we can see in this small group the beginning of a community of trust, a community of vulnerability, a community of work and rest, a community of healing. Social scientists who study bonding and relationships seem to agree that there are three necessary ingredients for true friendship. And they say that in order to have a healthy friendship, you can't just have one or two. You need to have all three. The first ingredient is positivity. Friendship comes when we offer goodness to another, good news to another. Friendship is born when we bring joy or kindness, gratitude, empathy, all things that make another person feel accepted and welcomed. We're drawn to people who not only accept us for who we are, but also call the good stuff out in us, call us to be who we are. We feel a wholeness coming on when we're around them. And I believe this was one of the most powerful spiritual forces of Jesus. He had a strange way of accepting people fully in all their brokenness, and at the same time, calling out something powerful in them. So the first ingredient in this true friendship is positivity. The second is consistency. Consistency is the hours logged, the history we build, the time we spend together. This is where trust happens. We feel safe when we can predict that a friend will be there for us. And this is why school is so important, and work, and church, because we need to be present for one another over time. Friendship isn't an idea. It's a regular practice. And to have consistency with one another, we need to find a way, even when it's so hard, to make connections. I have seen parents go to some amazing lengths this year to help their children stay connected to friends. This consistency is what Jesus means by abiding, staying with the other person, being committed.
In our session meeting last week, Amy asked us to discuss what it means to have unity as a church. In my small group, I was really struck by people's responses. The first thing someone said was, unity does not mean we all agree. Unity means we stay. We stay engaged. We don't unhook. We commit to staying with one another. Jesus couldn't have said it better. I need to pause here for a moment and give a shout out to my friend and pastor and colleague, Mary Kay. Never in my life have I known a pastor to be so deeply called to building and maintaining this kind of consistent bond of love in community. Many of us as pastors love to design programs and we love to create worship services. While Mary Kay is quietly plotting ways to bring people together, to call out their gifts and offer acceptance to another. When this pandemic struck and I was cowering in the corner thinking, what on earth are we going to do? Mary Kay said in one of our first Zoom meetings, and this is a direct quote, I think this is kind of exciting. It's a good challenge. We need to find creative ways to stay connected to one another. I remember this conversation in March of 2020 like it was yesterday, and it reminds me of what pastor and writer Brian McLaren says about the church. The church must be, above all, a school of love. So we have the first two ingredients, positivity, one who accepts us and calls us to new possibility, and consistency, one who stays with us and walks with us. But without the third component, we will not have a deep and lasting and healthy friendship. And the third is vulnerability. Vulnerability is where we share, where we reveal, where we let people in and let more of ourselves be seen. And vulnerability is not just sharing our failures and insecurities, it's also talking about what's going well maybe taking a risk of bragging with your friend. It's also sharing our history and our dreams. It's being honest. So often the disciples are ridiculed and criticized for being selfish and lazy and not listening and asking silly questions. Can we sit on your right and your left, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom? Do we have to go to Jerusalem, Jesus? Could we go someplace else? You don't really have to die, Jesus, do you? Jesus' companions weren't selfish or lazy. They were simply being vulnerable. They were with a person they trusted. They didn't want to hide from him. They wanted to be found by him. Robert Fulgham says that vulnerability is a lot like the game of hide-and-seek, 
and he tells this story. A man I know found out last year that he had terminal cancer. He was a doctor, and he knew he was dying, and he didn't want to make his family and friends suffer through that with him. So he kept his secret and died. Everybody said how brave he was to bear his suffering in silence and not tell everybody and so on and so forth. But privately, his family and friends said how angry they were that he didn't tell them, didn't trust their strength, and it hurt that he didn't say goodbye. It was like he played an adult game of hide-and-seek, and he hid too well. Getting found would have been more honest and also more risky. But instead, I don't want anyone to know. What will people think? I don't want to bother anyone. Better than hide-and-seek, says Fulgham, I like the game called sardines. In sardines, the person who is it goes and hides, and everyone goes looking for him. When you find him, you get in with him and hide with him. Pretty soon, everybody is hiding together, all stacked in a small space like puppies in a pile. And pretty soon, everybody, somebody giggles and somebody laughs and everybody gets found. The friendship that Jesus is asking of his disciples has this kind of stickiness and messiness in it. Friendship is not perfection. Friendship is the real-life incarnation of God's love. Jesus showed us this. And by the end of his ministry, after they had traveled so many miles together and shared so many ups and downs, this is what Jesus says to his small group of companions. I no longer call you servants or followers or students. I call you friends. You know everything I know. We have shared everything together. I am in you, and you are in me. Just as the Father is in me, I am in you. It might sound like a cop-out when I tell the confirmands this afternoon, if you want to learn how to be a Christian, learn how to be a friend. But I promise you it isn't. I think this is one of the deepest requests Jesus makes of us, that we will consider being this kind of companion to him and to one another. I would be willing to guess that this might be the most important relationship we can engage in in our lives, more vital than even a parent and a child, more vital than a marriage. To be a companion, to stay and accept and lift up, is a daily decision on our part to be there for one another when being there isn't easy. But it is the way of Jesus if we choose to follow him. And if there's one message I would want each confirmand and each of you to hear and believe, 
It is that you have a true friend in Jesus. His good news is real. You can feel it in him even from this distance. He will stay with you and in you whenever you call. And he asks only that you come to him and bring every part of you, not as a perfect person, but as an honest person, a real person. This pandemic has taken many things away from us, but it has not taken away our ability to do this, to stay connected, to be there for one another. Mary Kay taught me that one, and Jesus too. As Maddie and I continued along the highway toward home, the conversation took many turns. At one point, she said she had to tell me about her travel that day. Now, she said, I can laugh about it, but it was pretty scary at the time. My ears perked up. She told me that she had finally made it to the airport in Portland, Maine, with a friend of hers, Colin, when she suddenly realized that she had left her wallet in her dorm room, a freshman thing to do. Her wallet with her photo ID and all her money, everything she needed to get her ticket, get through security, and get on the plane. She thought for a second and remembered that two friends of hers were leaving school that morning to drive home. She called them and caught them just before they left. And after she told them her situation, they said that they would break into her room, get her wallet, and drive it 45 minutes to the airport. She told her friend Colin to go on ahead and that she would wait for the wallet. Colin said, no, I'm not going through security until I know you have your wallet. So they waited together and the two friends pulled up to the airport 20 minutes before the plane was scheduled to board. They ran through security and made it onto the plane with a few minutes to spare. And I'm here to tell you that sometimes a mother's prayers are answered. It may have been only six weeks into her life in a new home so far away, but it was clear already. Maddie was surrounded by good people who knew what it means to be a true friend and who would sacrifice some of themselves for her welfare. Amen.